Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your host and Game Master. Heroes, we have just one more series before our final audition run on One Shot. And of course, again, this being one of my last times hosting the show, I figured it was a good opportunity to indulge myself with my all-time favorite game. And it just so happens that my all-time favorite game is crowdfunding an expansion as we speak. That's right, StarCrossed, the two-player game of Forbidden Romance, is currently funding StarCrossed Love Letters a multifaceted expansion that provides so many new ways to play, including ways to play with fewer than two or more than two players. For those that haven't listened to our previous episodes, StarCrossed is a game about characters who are really into each other but have a really, really good reason keeping them apart. It is a game of simmering romantic tension. And it is, in my opinion, the best designed role-playing game I have ever read or played which is why I am so excited to see friend of the network Alex Roberts come out with new ways to play this game, especially because one of those ways allows me to play the game whenever I want. What you're about to hear is my foray into solo StarCrossed. An important thing to note is that although I read the rules before playing, I made a silly mistake that derailed me from engaging with all of them for about half of my game. Simply put, Solo Starcrossed has thought-provoking questions that help you initiate a scene, but uses the same scene structure as regular Starcrossed. And if you're like me and think that you can use the standard scene cards from regular Starcrossed, you might overlook those prompt questions. I do figure it out halfway through and correct myself, but I wanted to point out that that was part of my play session. And listeners, if you enjoy hearing me enjoy this game, good news for you! Starcrossed Love Letters is funding on Backerkit as we speak. You can get just the new expansion or get it alongside the original Starcrossed. And there are even higher levels where you can get game designer extraordinaire Alex Roberts to create a custom pairing just for you. So be sure to look up Starcrossed Love Letters on Backerkit right now or follow the link in our show notes. And with all that out of the way, let's get to the show. Alright heroes, let's meet our party for this week, and of course that is just me. I am doing for the second time in the 10 year run on our show, a solo game. I am still not fully confident in the solo game podcasting experience, but there are so many wonderful solo games out there, I am glad that Frankly, one of my last times hosting One Shot is going to be a solo experience. And I couldn't be happier about the specific solo experience it is because I am going to be playing StarCross today. Now, if you haven't listened to interviews with me where people ask me what my favorite role-playing game is, I am happy to let you know that that is StarCrossed, designed by Alex Roberts. The original StarCrossed is a two-player game of forbidden romance about two characters who really, really want to be together but have a really, really good reason keeping them apart. It's a game all about romantic tension and longing, and I frankly think it is the best designed role-playing game ever written because of how much each individual mechanic supports the experience of playing that game and telling that story. Instead of dice or cards or any of the usual randomizers, StarCrossed uses a Jenga tower in the middle of the table. Anytime characters do something that increases intimacy between them, they pull a brick from the tower. And if one of the players knocks over the tower, their character has to act on their feelings. If the tower falls over too soon, then things don't work out. It's a disaster. The timing isn't right, or the world isn't ready for these characters to be in love. You can also play a game of StarCrossed where the tower never falls over. Tensions simmer between these two characters, but they never come to a boil. And of course, if the tower falls over at exactly the right time, the two characters fall madly in love with each other and run away together. It's a beautiful game that saw its full release in 2020. However, now at the tail end of 2023, we are getting our first follow-up to StarCrossed. This expansion is a little different than what you might be familiar with from most mainstream role-playing games. StarCrossed Love Letters includes new ways to play this game, and of course tools to help make playing easier. Like I said, the original StarCrossed was the best designed role-playing game that I have ever played or read, and folks, you know I've read and played a lot of games. As you may have guessed, one of the things that Love Letters includes is a solo way to play StarCrossed. 
That's what I'm going to be doing for you this week. However, there's more exciting stuff, including a three-player variant so you can play out your polyamorous romance dreams. But with all that out of the way, let's dive in. So for solo Starcrossed, I'm still making two characters. In standard Starcrossed, there is a lead and a follow. The essential difference between these two character types is that most of the time the lead does things intentionally, either intentionally revealing something about themselves or making physical contact with the follow. While the follow does things unintentionally, unintentionally revealing things about themselves, unintentionally making physical contact. And in the solo variant, your primary character is the follow. Obviously, with solo play, you are still controlling the lead and their actions, but the perspective that you're generating the story from is the follow's perspective. And we are playing this game with a slight variation already, and I hope this variation works out, because this is intended to be a journaling experience. You follow the scene structure of Starcrossed, but you write out those scenes. Now, of course, those can be formally composed fictional pieces, but Love Letters very specifically advises this experience be raw. Not to spend too much time polishing when you are developing the scene itself. Let characters blurt things out, say things unintentionally. Don't worry about presenting the scene in a polished way. Which is good, because I don't think it's going to be good for me to play this game by imagining the scenes, then writing them down, and then reading that back. Uh, we did one epistolary game on the show in the past where we actually wrote letters. It was a lot of work, uh, and I don't think it really fits the vibe of this game. Like I said, the design really emphasizes the idea of making yourself vulnerable to the piece by allowing it to be a little messy in its creation. So that's what I'm going to do, which means... I am doing this in a way that is intended to share straight from jump, which technically the game says you can share what you create, but it's not the intended purpose. So already that's a hack. And on top of that, because I am not physically writing a lot of this stuff, uh, I'm just going to be babbling it out loud. That's another hack. For most games, I would not sweat hacks like this. But like I said, Starcrossed is the best designed game that I've ever played. Every rule that was in the original Starcross did something to enhance that underlying experience. So I am a little worried about changing things because that does mess with the intent of the design, however small it could be. Still, I think this is the best way to show off my experience with this game or how I would approach playing a solo game. I find that, especially in drafting, it's a lot better for me to just speak. Uh, that's something that I'm much more familiar with because I've been doing this show for so many years. But with that, let's get into actually playing the game and creating the characters. So I am starting from the perspective of I, I want to start with a follow because I need a character whose mind I can bring myself inside. Uh, obviously, I'm going to be occupying both characters a little bit, but uh, the perspective that I'm going to be speaking from is going to be the follow character. Uh, and I have to think about base settings that I want to do. Starcrossed is a lovely game because you can pair up all sorts of different characters. Uh, one of my favorite Starcrossed experiences that I've had uh, was actually not even playing, but uh, proctoring a variant of Starcrossed that I believe will actually be included in Love Letters, the Space Station Phobolex variant of Starcrossed. It's actually kind of the opposite of a solo game. Space Station Phobolex is a massive game where you've got several games of Starcrossed happening between several pairs of people simultaneously. These games can cross over and affect each other. It's a really fun thing to do. Uh, and one of the things that makes it so fun is the world building you get from the sci-fi space station aesthetic. So let's go to space. And... And I have to say, I have been watching a lot of Star Trek Lower Decks recently. Uh, it's on my mind. I think this is going to be close to a Star Trek thing for me, um, but, you know, far enough away. Uh, here's the thing. I love uh, Star Trek. I love Lower Decks. Uh, I love the next generation. I have not actually watched that much Star Trek, so I don't know much about it. And I don't want to go out on a lot of limbs that will leave people going, well, this person clearly doesn't know what they're talking about in Star Trek. Things don't work like that. So let's assume we have a kind of hopeful and optimistic spacefaring uh, multicultural like 
collective of people who explore space, do science adventures, like explore different cultures and whatnot, where, where peace is the main thing, but it's not specifically Star Trek uh, so that I don't have to be held accountable to real Star Trek things. Great. Uh, so that's where I'm starting. And because I love Lower Decks, I think this is going to be a lower ranking officer character on one of these ships, like an exploration based vessel. So the first question that we have to answer when creating these characters is what brings them together? And for me, I think it's like the wild Star Trek reasons that exist for people to be together. Uh, that, that can include like workplace, like we're on the same ship, we're on the same mission, whatever. But like the missions that people do uh, in Star Trek, like have them meeting people from all kinds of different cultures, like have them bringing people from different places on their ships. And there are a lot of like strange conceits that like pair up different characters uh, through Star Trek. So that's kind of what I want. I want like there is a job and mission based, like something about the the imperative mission of this collective means that my character is going to have to be around uh, the lead character quite a bit. I, I think that puts a lot of like really interesting imperative on it. You know, you don't want to fail your mission because uh, you don't want to turn away from duty. But like Star Trek also has this thing of the underlying values and principles of this collective are actually really good. Like Starfleet is a good organization that wants to learn and wants to help. Like those are things that I think if you sign up for that kind of lifestyle, you definitely believe in. And so you want to do a good job. You want to do whatever it is the collective is telling you to do because you actually believe in that mission and your small part in it is important enough that like you have to do your job effectively. It also opens up the door to some really wild conceits, some things that like, yeah, Starfleet will agree to do things uh, that openly seem like a bad idea, that if you were trying to organize yourself in any other way you'd go well you would never agree to that you wouldn't do that that presents like so much of a danger it's like no they believe in their mission so much that they do things in a very like particular way that opens up uh, everyone to a lot of risk because it is technically a more right thing to do uh and i love that and I, I really like the importance that cultural and diplomatic pressures play in Star Trek. So I, I kind of think I'm going to have my follow character as an ensign on the ship. So they believe in this whole thing. And then I think the lead character is not going to be a part of the ship. Uh, they are going to be from a culture that uh, this Starfleet equivalent that... I might just stay, say Starfleet, uh, for lack of a better term. This Starfleet equivalent is either negotiating with or allied with, or they're part of the collective, um, as it were. But this person is not a part of Starfleet. So that, like, a culture that is foreign to my follow or like an academic like interest of my follow is taking center stage, is doing things that would cause them to. Like, I think like Starfleet protocol would call for something different, but because we're respecting this culture, we're doing something that we wouldn't normally do. That way, whatever insane conceit I have that will put these characters in very close proximity, uh, have them, you know, inescapably linked to each other. It, they're inescapably linked because there are larger cultural for forces of like duty and respect and belief in in a mission or belief in like one's own uh, uh, culture and whatnot. That is what is compelling them together. So even when normal people would turn away and try to make a situation more comfortable for themselves, uh, they can't do that. They're just drawn together by these much larger forces that they both believe in and respect and want to observe. Great. So that's where we're starting. Now we have to think about what keeps these people apart. 
because that is the essential thing in Starcrossed is what is driving you apart because the tension in these romance stories comes from the fact that these characters can't really immediately act on their feelings. I think in real life, people come up with all sorts of reasons that uh, they can't make their feelings known or, or act on their feelings. And like some of them have a lot of legitimacy and others maybe not so much. Uh, because it's just nerves or whatever, but like Starcrossed goes beyond that. This is more than nerves. This is, if you were observing these characters from an outside, like you could see their reasons as to why they're not together, even if deep down you really, really want them to be together. And I will admit, this is a part of the game that I am not specifically good at, because anytime you put a romance in front of me, I want those characters to be together. Uh, love and romance are so deeply deeply important to me and I get so excited watching characters fall in love and be together I, I think it is beautiful which makes it hard for me to come up with any reasons uh, that people who care about each other should be apart but I have had the good fortune of playing this game uh, multiple times with its creator Alex Roberts and Alex is very good about enforcing this part of the design and I think to Alex's credit, it is a really, really important part of the design. It's not just that the characters need a reason for them to be separate. You need to also have some measure of investment in this reason. You need to understand their reasoning and respect it in kind. So for this ensign, like I think this ensign really cares about Starfleet, really wants to do a good job in Starfleet. That is the thing that is going to keep them invested in the the conceit that keeps these characters close to each other i think that should also be the thing that is kind of a barrier to them acting on their feelings and so it has to go beyond like obviously if our starfleet analog here is good they can't have rules that forbid love really like there have to be allowances that understand that people are human people have emotions and actually embrace that because that's a good thing so I think this has to be self-imposed. And my first instinct is to say that this is a character who like falls in love or, or gives way to passion very easily and very quickly. If you've watched enough Star Trek, you know people get put in life or death situations all the time. They get put in situations where they really have to stand behind their principles all the time. Also, everybody around them is competent and passionate in so many different ways. I think Starfleet is a very easy place, generally speaking, to fall in love. You're just put in a lot of situations where you see the best in people, where people see the best in you. So it is easy to fall in love. But I think even though love is good, and even though like people are falling in love for like practically, you know, good reasons, like they're they're seeing the best things about each other and, and facing dangers together, I think that can still lead to messy situations. Uh, there can be messy emotional fallout with that. And I kind of think that my character has like given way to love and passion so many times in their immediate past that they've actually seen it cost them opportunity. And I don't think it's the sort of thing where command like goes, hey, you're messy and that's a liability. I think it's more of a thing like you go on a mission, you fall in love with someone on the mission and like they tragically die. There is an inevitable emotional fallout of that. And we know that because this Starfleet analog and Starfleet, frankly, because we know these are good organizations, they care for people about that. Like there is maybe a reduction in duty when you are going through that kind of grief and whatnot. So I think it's not necessarily command being like this person is a liability. It is the organization writ large with through regulation and like psychological recommendations and whatnot, like has a protocol to help someone through grief, which unfortunately necessarily takes them away from duties that would be considered when somebody is like trying to get promoted or trying to advance within the organization. So this person, I think, being like, you know, super invested in the mission and also really desirous of advancing within the organization, kind of looks at 
the reasons that their career has not advanced. And I don't know. It, it could be accurate. It could not. But I think that they have like just legitimately come to believe, oh, I'm not moving forward because I've gotten in all of these messy relationships has put me in a place where I haven't been able to show the organization who I am and what I can do for them. And so that is kind of holding me back. So they have this kind of career minded, I cannot afford to get involved right now. I don't need this right now because I am trying to do something that is legitimately important to me. And I have this pattern of these messy relationships and that could hold me back from something that I really legitimately care about. So now we have the alien um yeah I, I want it to be an alien uh i think alien species are cool star trek alien species are funny because it's just like kind of makeup and whatever you can do with uh fairly easy to apply practical effects makeup so i gotta think of why this alien is on the ship uh why this alien is around my ensign and why they can't be together even if they would be interested in the ensign so Part of me feels like getting them in the same room together. My ensign could have like fairly isolated duties on the ship. Like these ships are enormous. There have to be tasks uh, where people have to like monitor and, and watch things over the course of a day, study things over the course of a day. But it, it's like it's necessary work, but it is also in many ways the Star Trek equivalent of busy work. It's not too important. You can't make too many mistakes. It's work that needs to get done eventually. But there isn't a tight timeline around it. So if you are grieving and you insist that you like want to work or get back into work, like this is a thing. This is a duty that you can be given because it doesn't represent a liability to the ship. It doesn't ask too much of you or put too much pressure on you it is just like an environment where you can continue your healing for the most part and i think it's the sort of thing where you can request a type of duty for this where solitude is the thing like i don't think you're necessarily alone again it's a good organization i don't think they're just going to isolate their sad crew members but i think it is something that a crew member can request and that's what they've requested they've requested uh, this ensign has requested this duty and whatnot um to mostly be uh, uh solitary however this alien has some sort of like cultural impetus where they have to be around this part of the ship star trek and and frankly star wars are like really a bunch of different uh multicultural alien species sci-fi properties have this wonderful thing of like you can decide different things are extremely important to these spacefaring civilizations so it is like not impractical that like something to do with the engine on this ship or whatnot like you kind of the ships are designed so that you have to like sit in reverence of them and this aliens species so even on another ship like they kind of want time to commune with the engine because it is this thing that provides them with the ability to travel the stars the ability to find new knowledge and, and connect with new people it's something that they see as sacred so they need to make at least part of their day paying homage to this thing um, that gets them in the same room. And, you know, you could do something like you're not supposed to connect with people or whatever around that. I, I'm saying that out loud and I'm finding it less interesting now. I do. Huh. Okay. This, so this starts to flirt with territory where I'm not sure. I could do this. I could do this. Okay. So my idea now it, again, pu pulling on that cultural thing, I want this to be a culture that has a strong hold on the people in it in terms of propriety, in terms of rightness, uh, so that somebody who is like acting in good faith and trying to do the right thing ends up in uncomfortable situations. And Starfleet as an organization in trying to respect those puts itself in uncomfortable situations. And I have this Ensign character who falls in love a lot what if this ensign actually used to be in love with 
the sibling of the the lead, the the character who will be the lead, this alien who's coming onto the ship. So they had previously a romantic connection, and I guess, I guess this person could have tragically died. You know, uh, that it's very Star Trek thing, and the sibling is on the ship as part of like a grieving process. I think. And that gives us a really good reason that works for both characters as to why they can't act on their feelings. The very reason that they are around each other is they both had a relationship with this other person who passed away. And like part of the gesture of this, this lead being around is respect, like respect for, for their, their deceased sibling. So like, yeah, you're not going to hook up with, with that person's ex. And it's like, Hey, I just, you know, got through this, this long grief period of like, you know, it might've been kind of a, a flash in the pan romance for me or whatever, but like earnestly, I cared about this person. They died. I spent time grieving over that. And now, yeah, I really want this person. It, it's this ensign is not, you're never through grieving another person. I, I think you always miss the people who are close to you when when they leave your life. But I think this ensign just got over like a major hurdle in that grieving process. Like they're probably were actually ready to move out of this duty, um, this this more solitary duty and like focus on on the career more uh, intently. But this situation came up and I think for the convenience of Starfleet, maybe even for the convenience of the Ensign, it's like, well, if this brother person is going to be around as part of the grieving process, maybe we'll just stick with this duty for a while. So yeah, this Ensign is like, has dealt with a lot of these feelings, dealt with it through the Starfleet way. And now like this culture is imposing its grief practices in there and you know obviously like i think this ensign and this uh person who passed away like again i like the idea of a flash in the pan super passionate star trek adventure-based romance that you know there was there was a death so it didn't work out which means that although these characters cared very much about each other my my follow um the ensign cared a lot about this person who died they also didn't get a chance to meet this person's family or you know do anything more formal because it was all happening in the context of this sort of messy like flash in the pan heated romance that can happen when you go on space adventures uh so yeah the sibling is here because of the grieving practices of this culture and i don't think it is i'm gonna say it's not expressly forbidden to to, like become romantically invested in your sibling's partner you know, after they have passed away, like that's not illegal. It's not a great cultural shame. I think it is a bit of a social faux pas as it is, as it probably is, you know, in the real world, I have never encountered a scenario like that or, or, or thought about it, but yeah, you know, it's like, well, that's a wild thing to happen, but I could see how it could happen. Uh, you would want to avoid it, but like, yeah, I don't think that's the specific cultural impetus behind this. I, I do think it would be gauche and rude. I want to dig in a little further. So we've got this alien who I think the previous alien who died like was not a part of Starfleet. I think they worked with this Starfleet organization, but weren't formally part of the organization. So that allows them to be like a little bit more of like a loose cannon, um, devil may care type character, which I think is good for the office romance portion of this because I kind of want, like, this ensign being a follow generally, I think they were sort of in a, not inferior, 
they were in a lower position uh, than this person. They were some way obligated to to this alien, which added a little bit of tension. So this this alien like is some kind of diplomat or spacefaring adventurer who has like a crazy reputation for all of the cool adventures that they've been on and all of the cool things that they've accomplished. And the ensign was just like assigned to be part of that character's detail. Like this is, you know, maybe some not space prince, but like noble of some kind who is aboard the ship, who is like doing things with this, with Starfleet. And they are so important that to maintain diplomatic relations with this planet or whatnot, Starfleet's like, well, you you have an ensign who's like a, a personal assistant to you to be at your disposal for anything that you might need. And they go on space adventures. And I think there is like very much this ensign is like, oh, I don't want to cause a diplomatic incident and fall in love and whatnot. But obviously they do. And this alien is so wonderful and charismatic. They have this like almost torrid affair. Uh, they, they get very close. I don't think it's the sort of thing where they're like formally signing paperwork or whatever, like notifying Starfleet of their relationship or whatnot. But like it gets there you know this alien is so charming like how could you not fall for them and of course they die sacrificing themselves to save the entire ship and maybe the fleet at large and the ensign is like completely heartbroken and like command on the ship like even if it was didn't reach the point where like formally they'd be like hey you there's got to be some kind of disclosure we have to change your detail or, or something like that it never reached that point but like the captain knew um so that's why the the grieving protocols were all put in place like i guess i guess if you're traveling around with somebody who is you're working very closely with and they die like grief is part of that no matter what but like yeah this is being treated like a romantic thing even if it wasn't officially a romantic thing it was like kind of this almost sordid affair as close as you can get to a sordid affair without it actually being sordid and so yeah that means we have this like space heroic spacefaring adventurer type as this alien's sibling so that that means that this alien like was growing up in their sibling's shadow uh, you know what? We're gonna, we're just gonna make this gay. I think the ensign is male and the alien is male. Maybe I'll change that. I don't know. But th yeah, this is an alien, his brother, and the ensign. And so I think he is kind of living in his brother's shadow. It's like very much nobility, second son situation. This person was so lauded, so well known, so heroic that. Like, you know, he, as the younger brother, never really expected to have to, like, have serious responsibilities because his older brother had it. And then suddenly they find out that, like, doing this massively heroic thing, his brother dies. All of a sudden, he has to step into his brother's shoes. I think, like, part of the reason that it is just him being dis deployed on this grieving process is the emotional grief that he is going through is actually part of like a cultural preparation to take over for somebody who, you know, passed away and their responsibilities are being passed down to you. Hey, heroes, it's James, your game master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, I am proud to announce that after this run of Starcrossed on the show, we are going to be welcoming our final candidate to audition for the role of the new host of OneShot. If you haven't already, please check out the auditions from our previous hosts and give us your feedback. If you're a Patreon backer, there is a special feedback form that you can fill out, but anybody, including Patreon backers, can fill out the forms that are publicly available. Those will be linked in the show notes to this episode. This is a big decision, and we want you to be happy with the new host of the show, so take some time and give us your feedback. Heroes, I have a new book coming out. This March, the Ultimate RPG Game Master's Guide is coming out from Adams Media, an imprint of Simon & Schuster, and it will be full of advice from me about how to run role-playing games. 
If you've been listening to the show for a long time and you like my style of GMing, whether it is comedic or dramatic or what have you, and you want to know how I approach games and come away with some useful tools that might help you develop your own style, this is the book for you. You can pre-order a copy over at bit.ly slash ultimate game master or bit.ly slash game master RPG. I can guarantee it will make a great gift for a gamer in your life, though because it comes out in March, they might have to wait a little bit. If you want to get them something right now, you can always check out Campfire Cards. As always, a huge thank you to our backers over on Patreon. Folks, we have new rewards coming your way. We'll be rolling out more of our second season of Star Wall, and very soon compiling my notes for the next arc of campaign. I cannot remember if that was for Bujanith or Nordia, but it's one of the very exciting ones. You can check out all that and more over at patreon.com slash one-shot podcast. A huge thank you to everyone who signed up already, and everyone who's going to sign up in the future. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. And with all that out of the way, let's get back to the show. Let's talk more about this culture. I think this kind of grief is very important to the culture. And so he must be out there specifically to spend time with this ensign. They know that the ensign is close in some way. That's interesting. Okay. 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 What it is, this culture, the way they grieve, they try to gather as many people who maybe not knew you, but were close to you in life as possible for, you know, grieving and, and funeral arrangements. And maybe that's like normally just within people who grew up on this planet. Like everybody that you like really knew on that planet gathers together because they believe each of those people has a piece of your heart, has a piece of your soul. And so they gather those people together and that way, when they perform this funeral ritual, they are really like passing your entire soul on to the next world. They give you a holistic piece because everybody who knew you is together. Everybody who is important to you is together. And so all the pieces of yourself that you kind of made in life are together. And obviously, like, there are practical cultural reasons. Like, there is a reason that we gather uh, people who are important to us for funerals and whatnot. But, like, yeah, this culture, like, literally believes that when you have an intimate relationship with uh, a person, you exchange pieces of your soul. And... You need to be gathered together at the end of life in order for that soul to be made whole and pass on to like the next stage. And obviously for practical reasons, not everybody can be together um, for a funeral or whatnot. And this culture takes it so seriously that they appoint people to go out and essentially collect, uh, uh, you know, from people who can't make it to the funeral at some point so that this whole ceremony can be complete. And obviously if somebody dies with a piece of your soul, they can just see you in like the afterlife or whatever and you get it. So like, that's not really a concern, but yeah. Yeah. So this brother, the second son has to do this because he like, he has to go and make contact with all the people who are really important to his older brother because he also needs to bear witness to his brother's soul to understand how to commit himself to his brother's work, which sounds like really harsh and unfair, which I think is perfect tonally for uh, Star Star, uh, well, not only Starcross, but but uh, Star Trek cultural things. It's like you are going to be taking your brother's place in the universe, in the world, and so you need to understand the impact that your brother had on people's lives, you need to sit with these people who were close to him and rebuild his soul. And after that, you know, you, you will go on to take over this person's duties. Um, so yeah, normally this is just for people on the planet, but obviously once you become a spacefaring civilization that is in a universe with a bunch of other spacefaring civilizations, people are going to fall in love with people who are not part of your culture specifically. They're going to have important uh, relationships with people who are not in your culture specifically. And I think while 
if you're human, if you're like from Starfleet or whatever, you'd be welcome to the funeral, but it wouldn't necessarily be compulsory for you to attend because it's like, well, only people who bear a piece of like uh, this person's soul, uh, you're you know, the only way you can bear a piece of uh, this person's soul is like if you're part of the culture. I think there are exceptions if you are married in. Like if you fall in love with an alien, if you're from this culture, like you are fully embraced by the culture, like through marriage or like even even like a very serious love relationship. At which point, like if they know about that, if like there was a serious romance um, between somebody from this planet and somebody from another planet, then you actually do uh, bear a piece of this person's soul and they do need you to either show up at this funeral or they need to collect, they need to send out somebody to collect from you so that this ritual can be complete. And so we've got this complex grieving thing. He's being deployed because he's taking over for the brother. But this is also, okay, okay. I think uh, this 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 will work. So this ensign, I think, is like a, you know, anthropologist type, like one of the science officers that uh, studies language and communication and cultural ideals and whatnot. And obviously being assigned to this important diplomat or, or allies detail, like they know a lot about this culture, just generally speaking. He, he knew this even before, like he fell in love with this wild space prince, but he obviously learned a lot more, you know, working alongside that character. I think he's also extremely nervous. I don't think you blame your love life or, or your ability to fall in love too easily for holding back your career, unless you got a little touch of anxiety in, in your spirit there. So I think that, uh, after this person died, like there was a Starfleet funeral. Um, and I think it's twofold. I think one, they were so deep. He was so deep in grief. The ensign was so deep in grief that he like couldn't face doing more grief stuff. I think he was like, I went to the Starfleet funeral. I don't know that I can face another funeral so close. I'm, I'm so heartbroken over all of this. And the thing that allowed him not to go to this funeral initially was he is aware of the cultural thing about like you're like you don't bear per, uh, a piece of another's soul unless you are from that planet he is aware of that and like i think there is a, a sharper like traditional divide of like there are some people on that planet who like they're leery of outsiders who you know haven't like formally undergone a marriage or whatever participating in this funerary ritual and obviously this person being like an important figure within the world of this planet like there would probably be some hardline conservatives that wouldn't want to see like Starfleet people dropping by what they see as like their private and sacred uh, uh, end of life ritual. And so he was able to talk himself out of like, hey, you know, we were in love, like we were really important to each other, but we weren't married. We hadn't really even made it known within Starfleet from a larger context. I would not be welcome in this instance. So I think for the most part, the funeral has already happened. But, but this brother character, um, the younger brother, in part of like, you know, taking over the duties and whatnot, finds like private logs or correspondence that belonged to his older brother. And in those, I think his older brother basically explicitly states that this ensign has piece of my soul. Like, I love this person dearly. Um, I'm very serious about this person. Like, our, our circumstances right now can't afford us to be married, but we will one day. And he finds, like, this log, you know, months after, like, kind of getting in this position and feeling 
very uncomfortable. I think, like, again, big, big shoes to fill, a lot of really high expectations. It's hard to do, especially, like, he was not preparing himself for it. I don't think he was someone who was ever jealous uh, or envious of his brother. He was always somebody who was, like, in awe of his brother. And so he's struggling and, like, really looking, like, for new ways to connect with his brother and finds this thing, like, my brother had a secret love, a secret love that he would have married. There is still a piece of his soul out there. If I go and I sit with this person, I learn about them, I learn about the connection between this person and my brother, then I will be prepared to actually take over. That is the missing thing. We, you know, did this ritual, but we didn't have all of brother's soul, like, there's enough in here that this is probably the thing that I that I'm missing. So whether it is like deeply held cultural belief or superstition or anxiety, this this younger brother is going to go out like has put in a formal request with Starfleet like, hey, turns out that it would be appropriate for me to do this gathering, this sitting ceremony with your officer. And I think Starfleet, for a number of reasons, feels like obligated to agree. I think they do take it to the Ensign. And I think the Ensign agrees, but reluctantly. They don't want to be immersed in this or confronted with this again. Again, they feel like they are finally moving past this, but they very seriously respect this culture. You know, they obviously loved their, their, their lost love. And they want to respect his family and, and all of these things. So, like, they agree, but maybe they're not super wild about uh, being put in that position or, you know, having to confront this again. So we have these two characters and there is like a juicy thing between them in that they have to be around each other because literally the younger brother's culture states that. Hey, you have to collect your brother's soul that so he can move on. It's also an important part of you stepping into the very important duties that you are expected to fulfill now as as the oldest child in the family. And we have this ensign who wants to move forward with their career. Um, it feels like, you know, life has been too messy. Grief has been holding them back because they have a respect for for the mission of their career. They know they need to respect this culture because they, you know, have this emotional connection, they know that they they need to let this happen. So I think part of it is you, maybe there is, okay, maybe this is like the Star Trek thing where they're like semi-psychic species. Like, I think it is not, it's not like so tightly controlled as like Vulcan psychic stuff where, you know, you got to be making contact or, you know, you're very specifically deciding to use these powers. I think you need to make a connection with someone that is intimate enough that allows your psychic brainwaves to open up to each other or whatever. And there's a measure of empathic connection, feeling each other's feelings and whatnot. And you need to get to at least that stage in order to collect a bit of soul, which is why, generally speaking, for this culture, you know, these collections or whatnot are one or, or two days affairs, because like, People who have these powers, like it's a two-way connection. They can make connections with, uh, you know, beings or humanoids or whatever. Uh, uh, beings. I don't want to limit us to humanoids here. Uh, beings outside of their, like, species. But it's maybe a little bit more difficult because, like, their psychic connection is working double time. So, like, it's one of those things where... We don't know, like it's it's indeterminate how long it could take to actually perform this collection because they need to get close enough to open up and for him to feel like I have seen you through my brother's eyes. I have seen my brother through your eyes because in that, 
that is where the soul lives. So they have no idea how long this could take. They just know it's very important that they do it. So he is essentially just going to be hanging around the ensign while the ensign goes about his duties so that they specifically so that they can get close. And we have all sorts of Star Trek alien stuff to, to lean on on like specific communication protocols and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So not forbidden culturally from falling in love, but like, I think both of them have a good reason not to want to fall in love, not to want to. Yeah. Uh, oh, I think probably here's, here's another hook. It's also stepping into his brother's shoes. His brother was like very good at like declaring what parts of their culture he wanted to stand by and did not want to stand by. Like, you know, being working with Starfleet is a little bit of a rogue move for him, but it's something that like he stood by very much. But there are pressures from all kinds of people involved in like this planet's culture and his family specifically that are like would not be happy to find out that his older brother had fallen in love with someone who is not of that planet, had fallen in love with someone who is of a different species. I think... What else? Yeah, I, I think it's like he's already feeling like he's struggling so much with these new duties. He doesn't want the added problem of like falling in love with someone from Starfleet. And then that's jeopardizing the things that he has to do even more because it make it makes them two conservatives on this planet appear culturally weak or whatever and taints his brother's legacy and all these other things. So like. There are compelling reasons, I think, for both characters why they don't want to do this, why they don't want to act on their feelings. I think it's juicy. It's just teetering on the edge of being too much for me, which I think signifies that it feels like good groundwork. So now it's time for the next stage of creating these characters. And that, of course, is filling out the star-crossed character sheets. So these sheets start with the question of who am I? And I guess we'll start with our follow here. And that's a Starfleet, in quotes, ensign. And I picked out the name Sam, Sam Barry. And what is my most attractive feature? Uh, so in a normal game of Starcrossed, uh, when you are making a character, the your most attractive feature is something that you assign for yourself. And I, and I think from the character's perspective, not even I think, from the character's perspective. So this is something the character knows or believes is attractive, about, not believes, knows is attractive about themselves. And I think for Sam, Sam believes it is his dedication. I think that's why he thinks of himself as a, you know, worthwhile Starfleet officer. That's why uh, he thinks that uh, his lost love, who I will have to name, fell in love with him in the first place. That's what he thinks makes him like a good and worthy person is that like he is very seriously dedicated to the things and people that he cares about. And I think he believes and sees how that draws people to him. The next thing on the sheet I'm going to wait for, and that is what are the two things about me that I don't realize are attractive? Uh, when you play Starcrossed, you trade character sheets and you write these in for the other players. So they know what your character thinks makes them attractive. Why can't I act on my feelings? Uh, there's a lot here. There's respect for his career, uh, respect for this culture, and respect for his mission. I, I think he feels like if he screws up here, then he will have trouble continuing on in Starfleet. He, his career in Starfleet won't be the thing that he envisioned for himself, which he was very seriously dedicated to. Um, and why is that important to him? He believes in what he does. Now we go on to our lead, and I have here Space Prince in my brother's shadow. And we got to name these characters. I love names with X's and Z's uh, for space people. I think that's that's a great thing, and we should just continue doing that. And I kind of want the older brother and uh, the lead, the younger brother, to have similar names and for the older brother's name to feel more weighty and grandiose. So for the older brother, I settled on Zaron. I think like Prince Zaron or Duke Zaron or whatever, like that's 
totally uh, a good space name. And then I think for this younger brother, we're going to go with Zam. So still a Z name, fewer syllables. Uh, I, I think it is like it just feels less serious, which I feel is appropriate for this character. Um, so, yeah, Space Prince and my brother's shadow, Zam. What is my most attractive feature? I had to give this a little bit of thought. And I decided to go for like the real gut punch. And I think for poor Zam, he thinks his most attractive feature is his resemblance to his brother, which obviously is going to cause problems, not only for Zam's personal confidence, uh, but also our poor Ensign. If they they really do look similar, uh, then there are going to be some issues. Then uh, it is, why can't I act on my feelings? I think, again, for Zam, there's a lot going on here as well. There's social graces, like it's not great to just fall in love with uh, your brother's ex-lover. There's diplomatic vulnerability. I think there's a lot of pressure not to fall in love with somebody who is not a part of, of their planet. There's family obligation, like all of this stuff hanging over it, the reason that he doesn't want to make a diplomatically poor move is like he's now doing a very important job and there are forces out there that are going to try and capitalize on what they perceive as his weakness. I think he's already not doing as good a job or perceives himself as not to be doing a good a job as his brother. Uh, so there's like even more pressure there. And the last thing I put down is like independence. I think even if he hasn't acknowledged it, some part of him really does want to feel like a separate and independent entity from his brother. And he just, if he just like literally completely walks in all of his brother's footsteps, I think it's going to be really hard for him to maintain uh, that sense of independence. And as for why it's important to him, I put down, I have no choice but to live this life. I want it to be good. So he feels like the cultural pressures that he has having to take over for his brother's position, like those aren't going anywhere. They can't go anywhere. He has no choice but to be in this life. I don't think he wants to, on top of having all of these responsibilities, be perceived as a failure. That would be too much for him. So over to their two things about them that they don't realize are attractive. I'll go back to the follow. And I was thinking about it. Uh, I think because I, I want for the follow his attractive qualities to have been really attractive to both of the brothers. And I think one that is just an easy slam dunk is his eagerness. Uh, this is something that I, I really appreciate about all of the characters on Lower Decks. Like, it's not just that they love their jobs. They love the boring parts of their jobs. They love the bad parts of their jobs. They are so gung ho to jump into different situations. I think Sam is really eager. Not only does he really believe in the mission, but he is really eager to see it through in whatever capacity he is given, even if he does have very serious desires to be serving in a, in a more important role than he is right now. He is like eager to jump in. And I think that's eager to please the people around him, eager to take on new challenges. He's just excited about stuff. So, yeah, I think that's a very sweet thing that I certainly would find attractive. And then I put down, because I'm thinking from now Zam's perspective, and I put down, when our minds touch, your earnestness makes me see value in myself. I think that in addition to being very eager, Sam is also very earnest. Uh, when he believes things, he believes them with his whole heart. And I think obviously he is going to come to admire Zam. And so when we reach the point in this scenario where their minds touch, Zam is going to see how, oh God, I really did name them Zam and Sam. Well, whatever. Um, Zam is going to see how much Sam, God, is that going to be a problem? Is that going to be a problem or is that funny? This is one of those things where I don't have another person around me and I, I truly don't know if I'm causing a big problem for myself or not. Oh, it's so hard doing things alone. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to stick with it. It might be too funny. I hope it doesn't undermine the things that I'm going to do. Um, so when Zam sees how Sam sees him 
and sees the earnest ways in which Sam is going to admire and and think he is a, a valuable and, and worthy person uh, to know, love, and respect, I think that is going to pierce through the self-doubt that Sam has enshrouded himself in most of his life. You know, he's never needed to feel like he was the important one before because it was so obvious how important Zaron was. But now he's taken over this role and I think he can feel disappointment from people around him a lot. But when his mind touches Sam, it is unignorable that Sam very genuinely and sincerely thinks the world of him. And I think that that will change Zam for the better in a lot of ways, just having someone uh, see him that way. And obviously that's going to be an attractive quality for Zam. uh, The first one I put down is your eyes shift and swirl like a nebula. I like, I love Star Trek aliens. I love colorful aliens. I think this is a species that ranges from like midnight blue to like lavender uh, in, in terms of skin tone. And I think their eyes are a little bit glowy and sparkly. Uh, if you are playing Baldur's Gate 3, the way they depict tieflings with like kind of glowing quality of their eyes, I'm seeing that, but like more of a spacey lens. And I think that Zaron had like these very piercing, glowing, deep blue eyes. And I think that uh, Zam has a mixture of colors and like as you look at them the colors like kind of shift around and like twinkle a little bit and i think this is while not an undesirable quality um uh for his species i i think like people would be like oh yeah well what you want is somebody with like deep blue like azure eyes like that's that's the ideal but Zam has these eyes that shift in color or whatever. And I think, I think that like he never thought of them as very special, but it is something that like very, very easily Sam can look into his eyes and just watch the color shift and almost be transfixed because it is so beautiful to see. So it's yeah, you just you just can't get enough of these beautiful, beautiful eyes. And then, yeah, I, I went a, a lot uh, more physical. I went with your hands are soft and warm. And the reason I did this, I think this is of contrast to Zaron, uh, Zam's brother. I think that he might have had like rougher hands because he was a space adventurer. Uh, he, you know, did a lot of action based stuff, whereas Zam, you know, I I think like might be a poet or, you know, maybe, yeah, poet is something like that, you know, a creative job where he probably did a lot of writing and not a lot of adventuring or heroing. So in contrast to his brothers, his hands are just so soft. And I, I think maybe this species runs just like a little bit hotter than humans so that they are very warm to the touch. And it also that also provides me a lot of other convenient uh, things that I can exploit later as we go through star-crossed scenes. So yeah, those are the characters. That is my lead. That is my follow. Now I need to set up the tower and dive into scenes. And we're going to see how this goes. I'm, I'm really, really intrigued at how the solo uh, experience changes some of those mechanics that I, I have come to see as like so brilliant. This episode of One Shot uses music from the following artists. Set Sail by Matteo Galisi. This episode of One Shot was edited and sound designed by Tracy Barnett. You can find more of their work online anywhere at the other Tracy. As always, we end one shot with a call to action. And folks, currently the United States is helping to fund a genocide and prop up an apartheid regime. That is unacceptable. 
I know it feels like a tremendous and overwhelming issue, and you might not know where to start making a difference on it, which is why I'm here to encourage you to contact your representatives. I'm talking about representatives at every conceivable level of government. That could be your congressman, that could be your governor, that could even be the mayor of your local city. We need everyone representing us in this country to acknowledge what is happening, demand a ceasefire, change our government's position to reflect the material reality of what is actually happening, so we can put a stop to this genocide and focus on humanitarian efforts. A good way to get started is to head to a site called fivecalls.org. That's the number five, calls.org. There, you'll be able to find contact information for some of your representatives, along with a script to read while you're on the phone to help you get your message across. For your local representatives, you'll have to do your own research, but I believe in you. Calling is quick, easy, and it can make a difference. The more pressure our government receives at every level, the sooner we can change the direction of policy. And that matters. That can save lives. Thanks, heroes. As always, a humble and hearty thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you want to help us in a non-monetary way, the best thing you can do is tell a friend. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Every five-star review we get helps new people find the show. For the latest one-shot news, be sure to follow me on Twitter at OneShotRPG. Look us up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OneShotPod, or look for news on the site at OneShotPodcast.com. If you want to inquire about ad rates, live appearances, commissioning episodes, or you have a general question or comment for the show, contact us at GameMaster at OneShotPodcast.com. OneShot is a production of the OneShot Podcast Network, in association with Paracosm Press. Paracosm Press is a Chicago-based tabletop games publisher. You can find more information at P-A-R-A-C-O-S-M-Press.com. Finally, that music which is right now swelling up over my voice is Adventure by Be Your Own Pet, courtesy of Infinity Cat Records. See you next time, heroes. Heroes.